Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the Federal Reserve wrapped up its two-day FOMC meeting today with its uh, traditional statement followed by the press conference with Janet Yellen. Nobody expected the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates. Uh, that's not supposed to happen until sometime in 2015. That's the consensus. Uh, but everybody was expecting the Federal Reserve, or most people were expecting, that they would drop from the language of their statement, the reference to considerable time period, right? The Fed has always been saying that there will be a considerable time between the ending of asset purchases, which just recently happened, and the first rate increase. And the question is, well, how long does considerable period mean? Because it's never actually been defined. Nonetheless, there was a lot of thinking that the Fed would drop the considerable period reference from its language. And sure enough, the way the Bloomberg reported it, that's exactly what the Federal Reserve did. If you read the way they covered this press release, this statement, Bloomberg's headline is Fed removes the considerable period reference. Let's look at what they said. I'm going to read you what uh, was written here. Based on its current assessment, the committee judges that it can be patient in beginning to normalize the stance on monetary policy. So instead of waiting for a considerable period, they're just going to be patient. Now, what does patient mean? Because we didn't really know what a considerable period means. Well, let me finish reading the sentence or the next sentence. The committee sees this guidance as consistent with its previous statement that it will likely be appropriate to maintain the zero to one quarter of percent price target range for the federal funds rate for a considerable time following the end of asset purchase programs. So wait a minute. They just dropped the world words considerable period, replaced it with patient 
And then in the very next sentence, they said that patient is basically equivalent to considerable period. They said this statement is consistent with our last statement where we use the words considerable period. Well, how do you drop a word and then not drop it? I mean, if they wanted to drop the word considerable period, why didn't they just drop it? Why did they have to insert the word patient? And if they wanted to replace considerable period with patient, why didn't they just leave it at that? Why did they have to add another statement that said this new word is basically the same as our old word? Because if the new word is the same as the old word, then why change the wording? And if, you're ha- if the wording is the same, then leave it alone. I mean, they wanted to change it, but not change it. I mean, the Fed is just trying to finesse this. The markets expect them to change it, so they want to change it, but they don't want to change it. So they change it by not changing it. They said, we changed it, but it's actually the same. Yet you have reporters saying they changed something, but the Fed is saying they didn't change anything, which of course they didn't do. Now, you know, I, I listened to the, to the press conference and, you know, the way the markets are, you know, looking at every single word, parsing through what she says for clues when she doesn't give any clues about anything. But meanwhile, the Dow was up almost 300 points at one time as a result of supposedly what she was saying. We closed up 288, so not quite 300 points. The Nasdaq was up over 96 points, almost 100 points. Huge rally in the dollar. Dollar was up across the board. Big move in the yen, the euro. The Aussie dollar hit a new uh, low for the year, a new multi-year low. Gold prices were up and down. They had managed, they only closed down about six or seven bucks. So in terms of all the other currencies, gold had a very good day today. It was only down in terms of the dollar. And gold stocks actually finished near the highs of the day for a change. So a lot of buying in gold stocks. Oil stocks, too, were also uh, quite well bid today. At one point, oil was up about $2 after being at new lows in the morning. I think by the time they rang the bell, it was about unchanged. But it was a very volatile day. But why do the markets react this way to Janet Yellen? Because every time she's had a press conference recently, there's been a big rise in the stock market and uh, a big rise in the dollar. Well, of course, one reason is because uh, Janet Yellen always speaks optimistically about the U.S. economy. But why should she speak otherwise? I mean, what do people expect? I mean, pretty much no matter what Janet Yellen actually believes, she's going to be optimistic. As long as the numbers on the surface appear good, as long as people believe the economy is strong, Janet Yellen isn't going to do anything to pierce that that bubble of confidence. Right? That's the last thing that she wants to do. So it doesn't really matter what she says. She's going to be bullish no matter what. So either she's bullish because she's foolish or she's bullish because she's lying. But it really doesn't make any difference as far as what she's going to say. Yet people react to her statements as if it's some kind of reaffirmation of their optimism about the U.S. economy. But, of course, you know, they're trying to figure out rates. And, you know, every time she's talking, people say, aha, you see, she says she's going to raise rates. And so the dollar goes up. But she doesn't actually say she's going to raise rates. She talks about the possibility of raising rates, that rates are going to go up as long as the data supports the increase. But she doesn't define exactly what that data would be. She just says if the data supports it, we'll raise rates. Well, how do you know? 
what data would support it. See, it's my view that I don't care what the data is. There's no data that would support raising rates because if the Fed wanted to raise rates, they would have already done it. Rates have been at zero for about six years. Why has the Fed not raised rates? You know, why doesn't somebody at the press conference ask Janet Yellen, hey, Janet, you know, you're you're thinking about raising rates next year, right? Some people are saying now because you said a couple of meetings, because I think there was a comment. You said, well, we might start, we might consider raising rates in a couple of meetings, which is maybe one meeting suitor that people were thinking because a couple is two. And she didn't say a few. She said a couple. So now some people think, hey, maybe you're going to raise interest rates in April as opposed to June. But all the Fed is talking about is the point at which they might consider raising interest rates. Not that they actually would do it. But why doesn't somebody ask Janet Yellen, if you're going to raise interest rates in April or June, why not just raise them now? I mean, why wait? What is the point of waiting? If you think higher interest rates are appropriate in four months or six months, why are they not appropriate now? I mean, what is going to change between now and April or June that would mean that we need higher interest rates in April or June, but they should be at zero now? See, because she can't answer that question because nothing is going to change. The reason she's not raising interest rates right now is because she doesn't want to, because she's afraid of the effect it might have on the economy, on the markets. Well, how is that effect going to be any different if she waits until April or June? It's not. In fact, if she's afraid to raise rates now, she should be even more fearful to do it in April or June because it'll be a bigger bubble by then. We'll have even more debt by then. See, the longer the Fed waits to raise rates, the more painful it's going to be when she does. And if she recognizes how painful it's going to be now, why would she raise rates later? That's why she has to keep talking. Look, anybody can talk about raising rates. And Janet Yellen talks about the possibility of raising rates all the time. But she never comes out and says, I'm going to do it. Look, you know, how many obese people talk about going on a diet? I mean, they probably talk about going on a diet every day, right? But do they do it? I mean, if some obese person told you, yeah, I'm going to start a diet in April next year, you know, would you believe them? Why don't you you start your diet today? Well, you know, uh, April next year. I'm going to wait till then. Why? Especially if they keep eating and they're even heavier then because now they have to go on an even bigger diet. Hey, why not start your diet now? The reason people talk about starting diets in the future is because they're not going to actually go on a diet. If they were going to go on a diet, they wouldn't talk about a future diet. They would just go on a diet right now. That's what they would do. Right? Just like a drug, a guy who's addicted to drugs. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to quit drugs right? in the future. In the meantime, I'm going to continue using. Right? If you're going to quit, quit. You don't talk about it. That's what Janet Yellen is doing. Why does she talk about raising rates? Because she doesn't want to raise them. If she wanted to raise them, she would do it. And, but she can't do it. And the longer she rates, the harder it is, which means the less likely that it will be. You know, I'd like to see somebody ask her the question, you know, Janet Yellen, what are you going to do? What is the Fed's policy going to be if economic growth slows? Now, I know I know you don't believe that's going to happen. I know you're very optimistic. But, you know, what if you're wrong? It is possible. I mean, the Fed has been wrong before. In fact, it's wrong more often than it's right. So what is Fed policy going to be? If economic growth slows down or what if unemployment picks up, what are you going to do? 
And of course, if she answered that question, she would have to say, well, we're going to restart QE because that's exactly what they would do because that's all they can do. So all this talk is based on the continuing strength in the U.S. economy, despite the fact that the economy is likely not to continue uh, with that strength. If you look at all the data, I've been talking about it on, uh, on the podcast about how bad the data is. Day in and day out, we get inundated with bad economic news that nobody cares about. Today, no different. We got some economic news today. We got mortgage applications. We get that every week. But this week, purchase applications fell by 7%. We're now 5% below the level that we were at a year ago. And this is despite the fact that mortgage rates are lower, credit standards are easier. No, now you can get a, a 3% down uh, mortgage uh, by, uh, guaranteed by Fannie and Freddie. So you got lower rates, easier terms, right? And you know, you've got this big drop in gas prices now that just happened. So consumers theoretically should have more money to qualify for a mortgage, right? Or to pay a mortgage. So I thought this was supposed to boost uh, the economy, all this big windfall. Yet despite all that, you know, we had this big 7% drop in, in, in purchase applications. The market wasn't anticipating that. We also got the numbers for the third quarter current account deficit. Now, everyone was, was expecting the current account deficit to shrink, to narrow in the quarter, right? They were looking for it to narrow by about 2%. Instead, it widened by 2%. They got, they got the percent right, but they got the direction backwards, right? So they were looking for $96.3 billion. Instead, we got $100.3 billion, $4 billion more than they thought, and was up to instead of down. So bad news, bad news for the uh, GDP. It's just, you know, your current account going down, uh, your deficit going up is bad news. The market was expecting good news. They got bad news. So what did they do? They ignored it. You know, whenever they get good news, that's all they talk about. But they ignore all the bad news. They did talk about the CPI today. We got, you know, uh, November CPI was down 0.3, which is the biggest drop since December of 2008. So the, the biggest drop in six years. Uh, the big uh, uh, move, mover, of course, was gasoline prices down 6.6%. I thought it was interesting, and I guess this will pick, piss off Chuck Schumer. Airfares rose 1.36%, despite gasoline prices, fuel prices going down. Airlines still raise their fees. And I'm sure the fee hikes are actually more than that because they don't really count the fact that, you know, they're making the seats smaller. So they're cramming more seats into fewer planes to make your experience uh, less comfortable. Uh, they're charging for more things. You know, I don't even think all of that uh, loss of convenience and all these extras even make it into the calculation. I just think they're just looking at the gross fare. And, and so I think that the prices are rising again much faster uh, than what the government acknowledges. But I think it's interesting that the prices were up because, again, this was their talk about this big windfall for the consumer because it's going to make things cheaper. But obviously other things are going on that are making things more expensive. Uh, so it's not just uh, relief at the gas pump. Prices are going up for other reasons. But again, more bad economic news today that everybody ignores when they're you know rallying the dollar on Janet Yellen's comments about how she might raise interest rates after a couple of meetings, meaning maybe as early as April. And as soon as she said that, you get this huge rally. And she also made a comment about how uh, you know, most of the members of the FOMC, and by the way, they had three dissents on this thing. One person was dovish, and they, they wanted to be even more dovish, and two people were on the hawkish dissent. And those guys are going. 
Uh, so the, the, the composition of the FOMC is going to take a turn to the dovish side soon anyway, as if you could really be more dover. I thought it was a very dovish statement to begin with. In fact, if you looked at the expectations, they call this the dots, where the FOMC members believe interest rates will be a year from now, they actually, the, the dots actually move down. So the expectations now are that rates will rise even more slowly. So I thought it was a very dovish statement. Nonetheless, um, the dollar rose. And of course, it was dovish in that they didn't really take out the, the, the language of considerable period because they took it out and then they let everybody know they were sticking it right back in. So it didn't really go anywhere. But uh, people somehow interpreted this comment about, well, a, a couple of meetings and then, you know, that there's that it's consensus that interest rates are going to go up in 2015. Yes, we know that's the consensus. Everybody on the FOMC or most of them believe that they're going to be raising rates in 2015. But that is predicated on their belief that the economic data justifies it at the time. And what that data is, it's never defined. But I believe if the GDP numbers are contracting, right, if the last couple of months of, you know, 4%-ish growth are aberrations and the fourth quarter uh, drops to a two-handle or a one-handle and then things are weakening into the first quarter, which I think it could happen. I think we can have a lot of layoffs in the retailers. We have too much inventory that got built up. So I can see a very, very weak fourth quarter for 2014 and a weak first quarter for 2015. So coming out of back-to-back weak GDP numbers and what possibly could be an increase in the unemployment rate, are those going to be the economic conditions that justify a rate hike? I don't think so, right? If the Fed couldn't raise rates now following two strong quarters, how are they going to raise rates in six months following two very weak quarters? They're not. In fact, you know, if somebody asked her that question, right, she would have to acknowledge, well, if that was the case, I'd have to do more QE. I think what's interesting is nobody even asks. Nobody bothers to ask Janet Yellen how Fed policy might change if the economy is weaker than expected, because nobody in the room where the press conference is, is being held, nobody believes that the economy could weaken. They, they've all bought into this narrative. I mean, she was asked a little bit if she's worried about things happening in Russia or is she worried about uh, any problems because of the big drop in oil prices for any of the banks that have made loans? And basically, her answer is no, she's not worried. Well, how can that be an honest answer? How could you not worry about a potential crisis in Russia? I mean, don't, doesn't she remember the Russian debt crisis that happened in the 90s or the emerging market crisis in general and how aggressively the Fed responded? Does she not remember long-term capital management, which basically went under because of, Russia? I think, Russian defaults? Uh, does she not remember that? And of course, the Fed was very aggressive in its monetary support to try to buffer any shockwaves in the U.S. Of course, what would the Fed do now? Rates are already at zero. They can't cut them, right? But how could she not be worried? I mean, how does she know uh, that this thing in Russia won't spread to other markets? How does she know? I mean, to say that she's not really worried or they're not really discussing it, that doesn't even pass the smell test. But again, she wants to say, what, me worry? She wants to dismiss concerns as if people will say, well, Janet Yellen's not worried, so we shouldn't worry either. 
right? But if Janet Yellen said, yeah, you know, we are concerned, you know, this could be, this could be bad, right? She doesn't want to say that. But that would be honest because she doesn't know at this point what this is going to mean. And she's also not worried about the big drop in oil prices with respect to the U.S. fracking industry or the leverage in that industry. Or nobody even asked her about the employment. What about all the people that have been employed in the energy industry? What, how is uh, all those people losing their jobs, potentially, going to impact the Fed? Nobody even asked that, but apparently she's not even concerned. This is a huge decline in the price of oil in a short period of time. Now, maybe if the oil price comes right back up, she doesn't have to worry. But a lot of people are saying, we think the oil prices are going to stay down here. There are people who think they're going to stay down here for years. Is the Fed not acknowledging that possibility that that might happen? Right. And how can they not? Now, they all, the only thing that concerns Janet Yellen, apparently, is that inflation won't be high enough. But she's pretty sure that it will be. So she's like, you know, if inflation doesn't come back to 2%, then she's worried, but she's confident that it will. Boy, that's a relief. You know, one of the, the reasons that the dollar was already up and the euro was down earlier today, right, is because we had comments from an ECB official, right? The same guy who was saying that, you know, they were getting some opposition from Germany, which of course they are. And he basically said there's widespread consensus at the European Central Bank that we have to do something uh, to raise the level of inflation in Europe. And of course, you know, the minute, you know, the traders hear these words, they have to do something to increase the amount of inflation, right? They immediately think, aha, they're going to do QE and they sell off the euro because obviously QE is negative for the euro, which is why they shouldn't do it, right? Why would you want to hurt your own currency? That wouldn't be consistent uh, with a sound economy. But, you know, whenever you hear the words, when you hear a banker saying, we need to raise the level of inflation. Forget about inflation. Just substitute the words consumer prices. See, what that official really said is that we need to work to make sure that we make consumer prices higher. We need to make prices more expensive for European consumers. We need to increase the cost of living for European consumers. Because when you put it in those terms, why would that be a good thing? Right? Why would making things more expensive be good for prosperity. I mean, I think the Russians would take exception to that right now. What is the big concern right now for average Russians? It's rising consumer prices that have been brought about by a weak euro. Rising prices are a problem in Russia. So why wouldn't rising prices also be a problem in Europe, even if they rose more slowly? Right? Every, I'm sure if you poll the European and said, hey, do you, do you want to pay more money for food or less money? Do you want to pay more money for energy? Do you want your clothing to be more, higher priced? Or you know, do you want your electric bills to go up next year or down? Do you want your cable bill to go up or down? You know, name the price. I mean, I, you know, I don't know a consumer out there that would tell a banker or a politician, yes, these are the prices that I'd like to see higher next year. These are the things that I need to buy, and I'm hoping that they'll be more expensive when I have to buy them. Right? Nobody thinks that everybody wants the things that they need to become less expensive so that they can buy more of the things that they want. People don't have an unlimited amount of money. The Europeans don't have unlimited money to spend so that they, they can keep buying if prices go up. If prices go up, they have to buy less. Sometimes they can't buy at all. If the price of something goes up too much, you can't buy any of it. So, 
you know, when these bankers are out there saying, oh, we must, we must do something to increase consumer prices for our citizens, it's never an economic positive. But again, I think the reason that ECB keeps talking about doing QE is because they can't do it. It's for the same reason that Yellen talks about raising interest rates, because she can't do it either, so she can talk about it and try to affect a positive result from her rhetoric. That's what Draghi does or other ECB officials, because they know they really can't buy sovereign debt, because it's not even legal to do it. And there's so much opposition from Germany uh, that they really can't do it. So what Draghi wants to do is get the benefits from his perspective of QE without actually doing QE, because what benefit does he want? He wants to drive the euro down so that prices go up as if that's going to drive prosperity in the eurozone. It's not, but it is effective because the traders just care about what people say. They don't care about what's actually happening. That's why they buy the dollar when Janet Yellen talks about raising interest rates. She's been talking about it for years, but have they been raised? No. Well, Draghi's been talking about European QE for years, but they haven't done that either. They can talk all they want, and as long as the, the markets will cooperate, well, then, they, then that's all they have to do. But at some point, the markets are going to have to wake up to the reality. And when they do, it's going to be very different. I think you're going to have a big collapse in the dollar when reality sets in, an even bigger rise in the price of gold. It will be a game changer. Uh, the question is, how will the U.S. markets in the short run react to the re to the revelation that the economy is much weaker than they thought? Because what does that mean about earnings and valuations? But of course, it will mean that the Fed is going to be much more accommodative than they thought. Although Janet Yellen, when everybody you know thinks she's being so hawkish, she goes out of her way in her conference to reiterate how accommodative the Fed continues to be and how accommodative the Fed will be in the future. Yet somehow. Uh, that's interpreted as hawkish, and, uh, and people run to buy the dollar. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.